You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Hey, so, so this morning we're actually concluding our series on the book of Nehemiah called Rebuild, Renew, Restore. And I hope that you've enjoyed this series if you got to catch any of it. If you haven't, some of you are like, man, this is my first one to get. Uh, am I coming into the last 10 minutes of the movie? No, you're not. Don't worry. Um, every one of these messages stand by themselves, but I want to encourage you, if you enjoy it, just um, jump on our Facebook, like us, uh, listen to the podcast. You don't even have to like us to listen to the podcast if you want to. <laughs> and, uh, you can catch any of them. Don't worry about it. Um, but it's been such a good, good series, and um, we've been in it for, um, oh my goodness, over two months. So that's an epic series right there. It's like the Star Wars series. <laughs> it keeps going and going and going. But as we conclude this, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to just condense the last few chapters of the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah's story is so beautiful because really it's a picture of the story of redemption that's seen through Jesus Christ. Nehemiah is in a, and Israel finds itself in a, a desperate place when the story of Nehemiah takes the scene in the Bible. Both Israel and Judah, the north and south kingdoms of Israel, are, are divided and they're actually both in exile because they turn their hearts from the Lord, from God's commands, from God's law, and they sinned. And as a result of their sin, they were brought into captivity from foreign invaders, foreign armies, enemies of God. And so Nehemiah actually starts, this storyline starts like we've talked about, where Nehemiah is actually in a place of prominence serving the king, the Persian king Artaxerxes. And he's in his court when he catches wind of the status of the walls of Jerusalem. And they're just destroyed. And it breaks his heart. God breaks Nehemiah's heart for this, the destruction of the walls of Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah goes through a series of things. And these chapters are more like a diary of what happens in Nehemiah's life as he goes and sets out on the job of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And let me just say this, this isn't just a mere building project. This isn't like, hey, my, my childhood house is decimated, I want to go restore it. No, the walls of Jerusalem were significant. They were significant because of what was inside the walls of Jerusalem. The temple was inside the walls of Jerusalem. More so, what was in, in, inside the temple was more significant than the temple itself. Because that's where the presence of God dwelt. That was a sign from God to man to his creation to say, I'm going to be with you. I want to be close to you. You guys think that I'm far away, but no, I want to be close to you. And so when Nehemiah captures this, this, this burden, he, his heart's broken and it's, it's got a lot of significance. And so we see Nehemiah going and facing one obstacle after the other, and every time God answers supernaturally. The first obstacle that Nehemiah faces is this. I don't have any resources. I'm not somebody that can go and do this project. It's going to take a ton of money and a ton of laborers. And so he, the Lord puts it on his heart to go before the king. The king notices Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah first steps out in boldness. And then Nehemiah actually goes down to Jerusalem, travels down to Jerusalem. And it's one thing to hear about destruction, and it's a whole other thing to see it firsthand. Parents out there, you understand this. Ask your kids if their room's dirty. <laughs> we do this all the time with our two youngest. Are, is your room dirty? They share a room. Is your room dirty? Well, not my side. <laughs> it's not that bad. You go upstairs and it looks like a bomb went off. 
You're like, oh my goodness, what are you talking about? We didn't raise you like barnyard animals. This is unbelievable. And so Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem and he sees the destruction. And immediately there's this threefold thing where Nehemiah actually has to separate himself from the crew just to wrap his head around it and let God speak to him and confirm the vision of doing this job. And then he goes back to his people and he says, listen, God is for us. I want, to remember, want you to remember how mighty our God is. We can do this. And then right after that, they begin to get harassed by outside enemies that are threatening their life and they trust God. There's a beautiful passage in the book of Nehemiah that says literally their hearts were encouraged and they had a trowel in one hand laying the brick for the wall and a sword in the other. Almost daring the enemies of Israel to come up against them and said, we'll take a lunch break and we'll fight if we have to. But we're going to keep building this wall. Because that's what God set our hand to. And then... What we see is this. My phone's going off. It's crazy. It's not just your phone, right? It's my phone too. And then what we see is this, is that Nehemiah has to set some margin. He has to deal with these. And the whole point is this, is that throughout the book of Nehemiah, everything that God brings Nehemiah through, he answers supernaturally. Why? See, the walls of Jerusalem had a value. They had a value because they meant protection. They meant They meant legitimacy. They offered protection for its people, but the purpose of the walls meant something else. See, in Nehemiah 6, what we see is this, is that God gives an account of all the people of Israel that have been scattered out from the walls of Jerusalem there. There's over 43,000 of them, and every one of them are important to God. And what this means is this, is that through the redemptive act of rebuilding the walls, the purpose was for people. How does that translate to our lives? See, Jesus comes into the broken areas of our heart and He heals them. He begins the redemptive purpose in us. When we fix our eyes on Him and we are reminded of His goodness, He comes in to those areas maybe that are difficult, maybe the things we've never talked about, the areas of hurt. He heals those things and He calls us to great purposes. But for what reason? It's not just for you to be whole, but it's because you've been called to make an impact in somebody else's life. Parents, you've been called to make an impact in your children's lives. In your job, you've been called to make an impact. In your schools, you've been called to make an impact. Just to put it in context of how supernatural this work was, the walls of Jerusalem laid in ruins for 141 years, and in 52 days, God rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. You know what's so amazing about that is that it speaks to the redemptive purpose of God in our life. See, it may have taken you a long time to get in the stuck place that you feel like you're in. It may have been a series over years of bad decisions, bad thinking, bad things that you've done, and you may be thinking to yourself, there's no way that I can get unstuck. And I just want to tell you that that's rubbish. Because when you turn to Jesus, what God's able to do is to pull us out of those things in such a hurry. It's amazing. He's able to supernaturally do things and get us out of the place where we've felt stuck for years very quickly when we submit to his word and we submit to his love. And so the picture of what's happening here, the rebuilding of the walls, is so significant. But what I want to do this morning is this, is I just want to take Nehemiah 8, 9, and 12. We're going to skip 10, 11, and 13. It's all right, you can go and read them. 
And I want to talk to you about this. Because what happens is so significant. So the value of the walls meant one thing. The purpose of the walls meant something else. But sustaining what God had intended to do at the very start of the burden that he gave to Nehemiah, which was to be close to his people again, required three things. Any redemptive act that God is doing you, any calling that God has given you, it's for the purpose of people so that people will know the love of God, that God wants to be close to them. Anything God's doing in healing your marriage, anything God's doing in pushing you out of your comfort zone, it's for a redemptive purpose of people coming to God because God wants to be close to people. And so what we see happen is actually the whole point of the book of Nehemiah in chapters 8, 9, and 12. See, in a real, in a real way, the walls were important, but they're insignificant. In a real way, gathering the people back into Jerusalem, it was God's heart, and it's important for us to focus on that, But what we see in 8, 9, and 12 is this. God's desire to be close to his people and how we maintain that. So I just want to just go over these really quick with you. Three things. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. These aren't deep things, but they're powerful things. The first thing that has to happen is this, is that we have to choose God's word. We have to choose God's word. In Nehemiah 8, here's what happens is that the people are assembled inside Jerusalem. And for 141 years, the word, the law, had not been read out loud. Not in the format that God had required. Sacrificial worship had not taken place, not in the way God had required. And so what happens in Nehemiah 8, and I'm going to read just verse 2 and 3. It says, so on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women, and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as, his face, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. See, what happened was this, is that the first thing that took place As God began to say, listen, this is my desire, this is my purpose for the rebuilding of the walls, for pulling you in, is so that you can come in and understand my word. What happens in this is very indicative of what needs to happen in our life when we approach the word, when it comes to understanding, if we are going to stay in a place of nurturing a passion for God. See, because what happens is this. The first thing that happened to the people there, the Israelites gathered in the walls of Jerusalem, is that they listened attentively. They made God's word the priority. They shut out the things and the cares, the concerns of their life, and they made God's word the priority. Now here's something that I want to just kind of give you. That that seems really difficult in our life because we've got... So many things pulling our attention. We all do. And and, and most of them are actually legitimate. But the problem is this in our life is that those things that we deem as legitimate aren't moving us forward in the plans and the passion of God. But when we choose to alter our day and to make time for God's word, what it does is actually creates a hunger in us to hear. Why? Because God's word is life. 
The very next thing that happens to these people is that they realize something, is that they fell painfully short. Their hearts are breaking. They begin to weep. They fall on their faces. But see, that was not God's purpose for revealing his law back to his people. See, the scripture in Nehemiah 8 actually says something different. Ezra and the priests and the Levites stand them up and say, this is not a day of sorrow, this is a day of rejoicing. Why? Because God's heart is being revealed back to you. I don't really think this exists so much in too many people's hearts, but if I can, just for a second, just prove God's divine batting order. Because some of us may have grown up in a different environment, in a different church environment that was heavy, that was harmful, that was harsh. But see, it's never God's heart to come and just unload on your shortcomings first. See, what God does is reveals His heart to you. He fixes the brokenness of your life. And then He says, if you'll let me lead you by my word, I'm going to lead you into life so that the word of God brings joy, not sorrow. I don't think there's too many people here this morning that feel this way, but if it's you, let me help you. If you come to the Word and you feel painfully short, stop. Reconnect with the love of the Father first so that you can go into the Word and receive joy and gladness. Because that's what the Scripture says happened in Nehemiah 8. Those people got up off their face, and for 24 days they rejoiced before the Lord. Why? Because God's heart was reconnecting with His people. And when we come into the Word, what happens is it connects into our heart and God becomes the good Father. He leads us by His words of truth and life. But we've got to connect into the Word of God. We've got to choose God's Word. A couple of things when it comes to choosing God's Word. First, come to the Word through the revelation of God's love. He loves you. He loves you. It's amazing because even in the disciplining of the Lord, He loves you. This morning as we sang, He's a good, good Father, uh, that song was on my heart. And I asked Justin if the team could play that. Because of that line, you're perfect in all of your ways. And as I was just singing that this morning and just thinking about that the love of the Father began to deal with my heart and said, Andy, there's been times when I've led you, even though you felt like it's disciplining, but in all of my ways I'm perfect. In all of my ways I love you. In all of my ways I choose you. Even when it feels hard sometimes, I'm perfect in all of my ways. And see, when we come to the Word of God, first through the lens of love, what happens is that when we have to take those turns where God is bettering us and and grooming us and, and, and just getting the rough edges off of us, we can turn and say, God, you really do love me. You really do love me. I choose you. I choose your Word. When we come to the Word of God and we make it a daily habit, it brings joy and strength. In Proverbs 3, 1 and 2, it says, My child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. When we choose, and so when we choose that, what happens and we choose to come to the Word of God because it's truth is that it creates life in our thinking. Ephesians 4.23, it says, Let the Spirit change the way of your thinking. Wow. 
When we choose to yield to the Word of God, the Holy Spirit begins to change the way we think. We begin to model the reflection of Jesus Christ on the earth. The redemptive purposes that God's called us to are able to be seen to the people He's put us in the middle of. The second thing that happened was this. Is that the Israelites confessed their sins. In Nehemiah 9, let me just read 1-3 through to you. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and put dust on their heads. Those of the Israelite descent had separated themselves from all the foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were, read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. This is probably the most under-talked about thing in the body of Christ. Confessing our sins. But if we want to pursue a passionate relationship with the Lord, there are times in our life that we have to confess our sins. See, when it comes to confessing our sins, what it does is it gets us back on the right track. It restores righteousness in our life. The understanding of what God is doing in us heals relationships and it heals our land. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But I want to give you the pattern for confession. Because confession breaks the pattern of destruction, so we have to understand how we are to confess. See, confession is not just saying, I'm sorry. I have beautiful children. I'm trying to see which ones are here. (laughs) I've got five. (laughs) So if I tell a story, I've got to make sure they're gone. All right? (laughs) Some of you parents are like, that's terrible. It's all right. and I have a middle daughter, my middle child, who is fiery, fiery ornery when she wants to be. She's not here. It's not you guys. Don't worry. You guys are safe. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember when she was born, and I asked the Lord, and I did. I promise you guys, and I I don't know. I'm not really saying there's too much to this, but except for God's like, you're so dumb. (laughs) I said, Lord, I want... I want, a, I want a girl who's, a little girl who's stubborn. Like, she's just not stubborn, like, obstinate, but, like, just, she believes in something. You know, like, strength. Huh. I got her. <laughs> she's the one in our family who will straight hit one of the other kids. She'll be like, Somebody says something she doesn't like, she's just like, bip. <laughs> I'm like, oh, did you just do that? Yes. <laughs> Something's broken. You need to apologize. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Come here, sweetheart. Let me explain this to you. Let me explain why I have to discipline. Let me explain why we got to correct this pattern. Why? Because confession is not just standing up and saying, I'm sorry. See, because for the Israelites in Nehemiah 9, and this is the pattern, this pattern doesn't change, this pattern doesn't change, this pattern does not change. It starts with this, God, I have sinned against you. No matter if you have offended somebody, done something immoral, illegal, the first thing as a child of God you do is you say, God, I have sinned against you. Why? Because this is the first relationship that must be corrected in order for everything else to be healed. Confession does not stop there. The second thing is this. 
I am sorry. Confession requires a contrite heart. David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, the book of Psalm writes a beautiful understanding of this. When he pleads to the Lord not to take the Holy Spirit from him. I would would present to you a theological impossibility, but that's not the point. The point is this, it's a reflection of a broken man's contrite spirit. And the necessity for healing comes only when you say, God, I've sinned against you and my heart is broken because of it. The third part of confession says this, I'm turning back to you because your way is right. I'm turning back to you because your way is right. I've dishonored your word. I've dishonored your thought. I've dishonored who you are. I am sorry. I am broken. And I'm turning back to you. That's confession. Three areas that you have to have confession if you want to keep a fiery presence of God in your life. The first one is this, with the Lord. God makes it so easy for us. He's so good. He's so merciful in this process to us. In 1 John 1.9, it says this, If we confess our sins, if we come into the place of confession, I have sinned against you, my heart is broken, and I want you to restore me. 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It is God's top priority to put us back in line with his thoughts of being a son or a daughter under Jesus Christ. And so when we sin and we confess, God doesn't say, tell me how sorrowful you are. Tell me how pathetic and how weak you are. No, what he does is this. When we come in true confession, he goes, listen, I'm going to cover it because I love you and I want to restore righteousness back to you. You're not that what you did wrong. What you are is what I've said. See, but pause. Let me just... Sorry, Justin, I'm over my minute. Man, I'm sorry, dude. <clears throat> what, let me just explain why that's so important for just a second, why it has to be the first thing and why it's so important. It's because the only place the enemy has any foothold in you as a child of God is working through the spirit of condemnation that tries to bring you into old thinking. But if you understand the word of God, when God says he fully restores you, when you confess, that that understanding of who you were doesn't exist anymore. It formulates a new identity in you. Those of you that have lied all your life, come confess Allow your heart to be broken. Those of you that stole, confess, repent. Look to God's ways because God says you are much more than the sin that's brought you to there. The second place that you have to confess is to people. People that you're in covenant with. Let me be very specific about this, okay? Marriages, children, the body of Christ. Fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. All right? People that you're in covenant with. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Let me just give you a couple of things from here. This word sins is the same sin that sin means throughout the Bible. And the word healed here mean, actually means salvation. What am I saying to you? 
that God values the unity of covenant, values covenant so much that he defiantly protects it. And one of the ways he protects it when there has been harm, damage, sin that's occurred, we have to confess. We have to go to our spouse and say, I am sorry, I have sinned, I have hurt you. Please forgive me. I'm going to change my ways. Parents, listen, no, no, forget, forget what I'm about to say. I've had to do this with my kids. I've had to go and say, I am sorry. I have not set the model of what it means to be a spiritual leader. I have not been loving. My words haven't been good. I am sorry. I know that I hurt you. Please forgive me. I love you. Holy Spirit, help me to change my ways. See, God values relationship and covenant so much. Why? Because it's how he gets things done. Pause for just a second and think about Nehemiah. Nehemiah didn't just go down after getting... You, you could have stopped the story of Nehemiah at any point. You could have stopped it after he went to King Artaxerxes. And King Artaxerxes says, take whatever you want. I'm going to bless you. And we could have had a testimony meeting. We could have gotten and said, you won't believe. God told me to do this. And I got free pass from the king. And he's going to do all this. Everybody would get up and cheer and go, praise the Lord. He's so good. It didn't stop when he went down to the walls of Jerusalem. It didn't stop when they overcame opposition. Why? Because God designed something in Nehemiah's heart that had to be accomplished in unity of the people. Because God was bringing his people back to his heart. And so God protects unity. He protects and he fights for the unity in your marriage. He protects and he fights the unity in your home. But when we choose to humble our hearts and confess our sins, God heals those areas too. And then finally, our land. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. God appeared before Solomon after the building of the temple and tells him that. Justin, you come on up. He looks at him and he tells him that. And he says, listen, Solomon, when you fall short as a, as a collective, when you recognize that my hand's not on you anymore, Solomon, as a leader, you know this, that there's going to be times when you're not going to be able to control everybody's heart. Their hearts are going to turn from my law. But here's what I want you to do. As I want you to call the people together the people that know my name, that fear my name, that love my name. And I want them to humble their hearts and I want them to cry out to me and I want them to confess their shortcomings. I want them to pray for me to heal because what I will do is I will heal their land. What's my point? You know who God gives the responsibility of healing the land that we're into today? Look to yourself, look to your neighbors. See, because there's not any bit of legislation or elected politician or law that could be ever enacted, has ever been enacted or could ever be enacted that can bring people's hearts to the truth of Jesus Christ. See, God reserves that right for us. And he asks us to do that because it's part of his redemptive purpose. Whether you like to hear that or not, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the authority of God's word. See, because God is just fierce about pulling people back to his heart, back to his love. 
When we come together and we pray, and that's why I believe in this last two, three weeks that God's done something powerful in our times of prayer. And finally, the last thing is this. Dedicate your ways to the Lord. So we see this, that they came to God's word, they confessed their sin, and third, they dedicated their ways to the Lord. In Nehemiah 12, verse 27, it says, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought into Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully. The dedication was songs of thanksgiving, music, cymbals, harps, and lyres. In verse 30, when the priests and the Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people and the gates and the wall. In verse 43, it says this, On the day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. To keep in stride with the redemptive purpose that God's put in our life and to stay in the joy of the Lord, what we have to do is this. Commit to the word of God. Confess our shortcomings when they come. And dedicate our ways to the Lord. See, what they did first is they dedicated their heart to the Lord. And every one of us here, if we're going to lock into the redemptive purpose of what God's called us to in our lives, and our families, our marriages in this city, have to start by dedicating our heart to the Lord. God, the things I think about, the things that occupy my heart, God, I give those things to you. I dedicate that to you. I dedicate my thinking to you. I dedicate my pleasure to you. I dedicate those things to you. Why? Because when I trust you, I recognize you as a good father. Then they dedicated their purposes to the Lord. And that's the things that they chose to pursue. And if there's any homework that can be done today from this place, it could be a time of reflection that we have when we say, God, are the purposes in my life, the things that I'm pursuing, are they lining up with the redemptive purpose you've called me to? See, I need, to, I need to laser into that because, God, you designed in me a purpose. Are the things that I'm establishing, that my wife and I are establishing for my family, God, are they drawing my family into the purposes that you've given them? The things that I'm doing in my free time, and I'm not telling you not to have an enjoyable life. I, I don't want you to think this way. But I do want to challenge you. Because if your life and your free time is just simply filled with pleasure and there's not a reflection of the love of God in you, then things are turned around. And it's time to write them. Because I, I will give you this guarantee and you can match it up, whatever you want. I, I promise you that when you submit your life to the purposes of God, the fulfillment that you will find in your life will far outweigh anything, any kind of fulfillment you can find anywhere else. So they dedicated their purposes and finally they dedicated their stuff they dedicated their stuff. And they did this through the tithe. And, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to even advocate this. This isn't about money. Okay? But see, it's a simple truth when it comes to this because there's not partial dedication if, if, in this storyline. I'm just talking about the Israelites here. I'm just, that's all I'm saying here. But, I, but if it's a model at all, there's no partial dedication 
See, it started in their heart. It started with the things they're pursuing. But ultimately, the highest indication of how, God, how much God had their heart was with their stuff. They didn't reserve anything back. See, because they understood for 141 years what it was like to live as slaves under a foreign land. And they understood that no, how much, no, how, no matter how much they wanted to have their own freedom, that when they had their own freedom, it only led them into a place of pain. And they came into this revelation, first through the love of God, that when they submit themselves to the word of God, when they came and said, God, we, we're broken and we're contrite and we know we've sinned against you, that the fulfillment of their life came as they dedicated their lives to him. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you all so much for being a part of this series. Next month, we're going to start a series in the book of James. It's going to be amazing. Because it's foundational, practical, foundational truth to help you to live in authentic faith. And I'm excited about that, about that series that we're going to be in. It's going to be good. I believe this series has been good. It's been good for me. And I believe this, that if we'll fix our eyes. You know what's so cool about this city? Is that some of you have noticed the white crosses that are up. And I know, I know how that started. And I know what kind of fight maybe we want to get into. But let's resist that fight. Because the cross of Jesus Christ is not meant to be divisive. But it's meant to pull people in. But can I, can I challenge you with something about those crosses? Because what we're seeing is this. What the body of Christ can do when they agree. What the body of Christ can do when they agree. It's not a church. It's the body of Christ. But can I encourage you to do something, to pray? Say, God, what would it look like if the cross went one door over to my neighbor who doesn't know you? Maybe your neighbor has a cross and everybody on your street has a cross. Look across the street then. Look to the next road. And say, God, what would it look like if the message of the cross went to my neighbor who doesn't have a cross or doesn't know you? Help me to recognize my redemptive purpose. God, assuredly as you've set me free and you've healed me and you've made me whole and you've called me into your love, you want to call my neighbor into your love as well. Let me be salt and let me be light. Let's pray. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for your great grace upon us this morning. Lord, we receive your word. Lord, we submit ourselves to the authority of your word. Holy Spirit, come and just prick our hearts right now. Lord, we've all fallen short in some area. This morning, those of you who are here, if you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, it's very simple. Put your trust in him. No matter how good you think you are, your goodness is not good enough. The Bible says that we've all fallen short and we need a Savior. No matter how deep your sin is, listen, the blood of Jesus can free you from your sin. But you have to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And it's simple as saying, Jesus, I believe. I believe in you. I believe that what you did at Calvary's cross sets me free and brings new life to me. I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. For, for every one of us, Lord, if we fall short, Lord, 
we just stand on 1 John 1, 9. We confess our sins to you because you are a good father, faithful and just, to forgive us of our sins and to bring us back into the order of righteousness. And so, Lord, let your righteousness rule and reign in our lives, Lord. Heal marriages and heal homes, God. Let the redemptive work begin there. But, Father, turn our focuses out to you as we dedicate our lives to you. God, if there's anything that we need to change in the pattern of our life, Holy Spirit, you empower us the same way that you gave the power to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. We know it's not in our strength or our ability, but Holy Spirit, we trust firmly upon you. But allow our lives to be dedicated to your purposes, Lord, because you've called us to a great and powerful redemptive work. We love you, Jesus. We honor you. Amen. Amen.